KCIUT 89.5 FM, the sound of your city. Stream us anytime at www.ciut.fm. The views and opinions expressed on the following program are those of the producers and or the persons appearing on the program and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of CIUT-FM. Well, welcome to the Radical Reverend Show. And yes, uh, it's still kind of sort of International Women's Month. I mean, it's always International Women's Month. Let's be, let's be clear about that. I have two incredible women on the show today. We're not necessarily talking about women's issues, but really in large part, they are women's issues. We're talking about uh, parents and also educators and going back into the school system here in Ontario with a whole new mandate coming down the pike on uh, March 21st after March break. And uh, we're going to talk about the impact of that on children, on parents, and on educational staff as well. So do stay tuned. Uh, and by the way, while I have you listeners, uh, please uh, send your comments and questions, suggestions. I always respond and I love getting your comments, questions and suggestions. So keep it coming. Uh, your host here, Sherry DeNovo at CAIUT 89.5 FM, the last really independent radio station left in the GTHA. My first guest has been on the show before, and I'm so excited that she's come back on. It's Dr. Katie uh, or Kate Dupuis. And she is, as she describes herself, a concerned Toronto parent. She's also a professional psychologist. So particular insight. Um, thank you very much, Kate, for being on the Radical Reverend Show. Lovely to have you back. Thank you for having me, although I kind of wish we weren't still talking about the same topic months and months after we first chatted. I know. I, I what's two years now of the pandemic that's now an endemic, and uh, some things have changed, but not a lot has changed in many ways. Uh, you have children in school. What ages? I have an almost seven-year-old who is in grade school, and then a three-year-old who is enrolled in daycare, but we've been trying to keep them home with us as much as possible, especially with so much uncertainty around access to testing and case numbers and all of that. So two little ones, one of them has had two vaccines, and the youngest, of course, is still not eligible to be vaccinated. That must be so concerning. Uh, my children are grown-ups, but I can only imagine what you must go through sort of saying goodbye to them every day. Um, what are your concerns? We, we've heard from the government. The government has said well, let's learn to live with, it's endemic, we're gonna to learn to live with it. And that means masks are coming off. That means we're not gonna be reporting cases anymore. We're not gonna be keeping track, uh, encouraging people to get vaccines, but that's about it. Reactions to that? Just it, as, a, as a parent, as a person who cares about her community and families, I just find it honestly pretty demoralizing that we're rushing so quickly into getting back to normal. You know, I guess we can question what is normal? What does that actually mean for us in the world? But trying to get back to normal before kids can be protected. And, you know, I understand from the data, the vast majority of children who are infected with COVID most likely will be okay. That does seem to be what we're seeing, but there's a lot of uncertainty around this disease. It's still only a disease that's two years old. We just saw data come out this week in Nature about middle-aged and older people having changes to the physical structures of the brain, 
having changes to their cognitive function, how they're thinking, how quickly they can process information and go back and forth between different pieces of information that they're trying to process. What, <laughs> when I hear these types of things and I, you know, I read through that paper, I, I had a few questions and I really, I just wonder about this urgency. You know, we heard uh, a number of politicians saying, well, we can't leave masks on forever. And I don't think anyone has ever thought to themselves this would go on forever. I don't think anyone's ever thought this is going to be our life now for the rest of time. I think what a lot of folks in Ontario are thinking is, we did exactly what we were asked to do. We stayed home to stay safe. You know, we waited till there was vaccines available for adults. We started to be more cautious. Why are we not waiting till there are vaccines for children? Pfizer has said in April, they'll share some data, hopefully an update for children under five. We know that children are gonna come back for March break without masks on now. There's going to be, I'm sure a lot of questions, a lot of concerns in schools and with what our kids have gone through in the last two years, it just really doesn't feel like they're being prioritized. And I guess I'm biased as a parent, but you know, even if I wasn't a parent, I think that a society should be judged on how well they treat their youngest people because our kids are gonna be the future of Ontario. And if we don't take good care of them now, we really don't know what's gonna happen going forward. I don't know if you follow Dr. Eric Fagel on, on Twitter, but, uh... Some of the stats coming out of the UK show that children are the most likely, because of lesser rates of vaccination, I'm sure, but are the most likely now in the UK to end up in hospital. That's very concerning. And in Denmark, of course, hospitalizations across the board are going up since they lifted mandates. Uh, so there's that. And then the reporting aspect of this, which really makes me a little crazy. So. Schools are reporting cases of lice, but they're not reporting cases of COVID. That just strikes me as bizarre. And the other thing I want you to comment on is the fact that private schools are still masking after March 21st. Most of them, including Stephen Lecce's old private school that he went to. What do you think of all that? That's a lot. I think the pandemic probably more so than ever before has really showed the inequity in our educational system and the fact that you know, there are some kids who are able to do things, some kids who aren't. We saw this back in the fall when there was news reporting around free rapid tests being given to kids in private schools, but kids in public schools are being, uh, you know, weren't able to access these same tests. These are tests that, be, that it had been paid for by Ontario taxpayers and had been sourced for us through the federal government. And, you know, the correct decision, in my mind at least, would have been to say, oops, you're right. Oh, wow. Isn't that great that those kids are getting access to this? mitigation measure let's expand it to everybody you know what a great way rapid tests can help to pick up on asymptomatic cases can be used systematically within a school system and as a surveillance tool but instead the government said no let's shut that down and as we've seen now obviously with tens of millions of rapid tests flooding our country rapid tests are a key tool you know, myself and so many others in the province have been banging that drum since last summer and finally we're being listened to. Uh, kudos to schools who are choosing if they are able to keep masks for their kids and their educators. Absolutely, why not protect kids, protect educators? There's a large study coming out of the US this week as well that showed, you know, a dramatic decrease in spread of COVID in schools that were using masks. Um, I, I, 
find it strange that we're dropping so many things simultaneously. As you said, we don't really have access to testing. And I've heard, you know, the government say we don't need to focus so much on cases. We really need to focus on hospitalization. But the thing with cases, of course, is that when you have a sick kid, and that child is at home with you, regardless of whether or not the rule says you have to self-isolate if you're, for example, a triple vax nurse. If your kid is sick, you still have to take care of your kid. And so, you know, over 101,000 children in Ontario have tested positive for COVID-19. And it, you know, even if many of them, like a lot of our friends' kids have had COVID, it, it wasn't as severe as one, you know, feared. Kids got over it in a few days, were feeling better. It's still scary, you know, it's still, I've had to take my child to sick kids with a very high fever. It is, it's scary as a parent to have a sick child in your home. And so regardless of, you know, whether we're looking at hospitalizations and whether that's decoupling for cases, as a parent, I wanna know what's going on with my kid, right? I wanna know if my child, for example, has strep throat, there's a test for that. If my child has an ear infection, we can diagnose that using an otoscope. Why in the world would my kid come home with a fever and a runny nose and I can't also diagnose that? You know, I find it really funny. I got a letter in the mail from the Minister of Health reminding me to do my test for cervical cancer. And I thought, well, this is a free diagnostic test that the government of Ontario is allowing me as an adult to get. I'm even getting a personalized letter in the mail saying, oh, Kate, don't forget. And yet my child, during a global pandemic, is being restricted by my government from accessing a diagnostic test. You have to think, Sherry, that all of these children who've been diagnosed since the end of December when PCR testing became extremely restricted in Ontario, where are these children getting tested? Are they all getting tested in hospitals? And how much is that costing, not only financially, kids showing up in eMERGE, but also from a psychological perspective for parents, for kids having to be taken to a hospital? These are all the underlying costs that we're not seeing. Right. And it's very stressful as a parent. Our government appears to be extremely concerned about the mental health of Ontarians. I would suspect that parents' mental health would be a lot better if we could quickly and easily do a take-home PCR test, drop it off at the hospital, and find out whether or not our kid has a has COVID. I really, you know, if the situation in Ontario is so much better that we're able to remove all these restrictions then why is the government not allowing us free access to PCR testing? Wouldn't that just prove their point? If it was very easy to, and free to access testing, and it's so safe in Ontario that we don't even need masks anymore, then presumably no one's gonna need access to PCR testing. So open it up for everybody and no one will use it because COVID's done apparently. <laughs> that would be you know, a pretty easy way to figure out whether or not COVID is actually done with Ontario. Speaking here on the Radical Reverend Show, if you've just tuned in to uh, guests that we've had on before, and we're delighted to have back uh, Dr. Kate Dupuy. And we're talking, of course, about the fact that mask mandates are going to be lifted in our schools after March break. Of course, in our public schools, not in our private schools, if you're wealthy enough to have your child in one. And also, just to your discussion about PCR testing, you know, if you've got money, you can still get PCR testing. I've heard range from 180 to $250. So there you go. If your mm -hmm. rapid tests prove positive and you want to really make sure, 
that's uh, an option for you. The, the, the other aspect of children and COVID in schools is that even if it's mild, who's at home? I always want to know who's at home with that child. Is there somebody over 70 at home? Is there a grandparent? Is there somebody with an immune uh, compromised uh, situation? Is there somebody with cancer? Is there, is, who's at home that that child, it might be mild in the child, but won't be mild for that person. And we've just so you, you know out there also, the other thing that's shifted now is the way that we're declaring COVID deaths. So if you die of COVID and it's only COVID, it's a COVID death. But if it's a comorbidity and it's COVID plus something, COVID falls off the record. So uh, again, even our death statistics are going to be not as accurate as one would hope that they would be. Uh, so you also have a child in childcare. I just have to touch on this. It's not a COVID question, <laughs> but the government, well, maybe might be the end of the line in terms of negotiating a deal with the federal government for $10 a day childcare by the end of March. So we've got, mm -hmm. you know, just a couple of weeks left of this. And we're the only province in Canada that has not negotiated a deal for $10 a day childcare. And I'm old and I've been fighting as a feminist for that for decades. We've been asking for affordable childcare. They've had it in Quebec, but not here. Mm -hmm. uh, your parent, your working parent reaction to that. So I did, I grew up in Quebec and so many of my friends are in Quebec and it's always so funny or I guess pretty sad when we talk about childcare costs because, you know, I'm paying $80 a day and at the upper limit, you know, I have maybe friends who are paying $20 a day, for example. So, and I actually think it is a COVID issue because many parents have not been able to send their children to school five days a week, four weeks a month because of COVID, you know, the restrictions are a little bit less now, but it used to be if there was COVID in the household, you're isolating for 10 days. That's a long time to be out of daycare. I pay $80 a day for daycare. If I'm out of daycare for even a week and a half, I mean, that's hundreds and hundreds of dollars. Um, it is strange to me that the other premiers and ministers of education across the country have somehow been able to make a deal with the federal government yet our government says, well, we're looking out for Ontarians and we want to get a good deal. If everyone else has been able to do it, why is it dragging on for so long? As you do say, we, you know, we stand to lose out potentially on a billion dollars only 18 days from today. My suspicion, of course, is like with many things leading up to June 2nd, that there may be a last minute miracle pulled, you know, wow, we were able to sign it. And my hope, and it was funny, we had a, uh, we met another family on the playground this morning. We're talking about the same thing. They also have two children in childcare. And we were talking about, you know, at, at that point, will we get, <laughs> we get reimbursed? There has been some talk of going back to January 1st, you know, maybe you'll get uh, backdated checks or something like that. Uh, if the money's there and it's able to do that, why are Ontario families not getting that now? You know, I'm sure for folks, especially individuals who don't necessarily have uh, ample paid sick days, because of course that's another thing that our provincial government is really dragging their feet on, is providing appropriate number of paid sick days. If you don't have enough sick days, what are you going to do with a child who is sick? Will you be able to keep them home? Or as we heard stories, you know, even prior to COVID, will you give them some Tylenol in the morning and bring them over to daycare and hope that they're okay for the day? Um, and you know, for some folks, you cannot take that day off or you will lose your job. And then there could be a cascading ripple effect of all the other negative repercussions. You know, if we had better social supports in place, if we had 
you know, subsidized childcare, if we had paid sick days, all of this together wraps around families, but in particular, as you're saying, wraps around women. We know during COVID there's been this she session, right? It kind of a strange term, but the idea is it's the women, it's the mothers, it's the grandmothers who've been the ones taking time off, staying home, withdrawing entirely from the workforce. And we know from the research that one of the ways to get women back into the workforce is to provide affordable daycare. You know, if we have, we, at one point, we were paying more for daycare, far more for daycare than we do for our home. <laughs> and I love my job. I'm lucky enough to have a partner who also loves their job. Our job was able to support paying for both daycare and a mortgage. But at a certain point, you think to yourself, I'm basically just going to work to pay for my child to be in care. And I need, I love my job and it's really important for me to be in the workforce, but this doesn't seem very reasonable. And I do know women within our friends group who have withdrawn from the workforce when their children were little, because it's just not worth it from a financial perspective. And so, and especially during COVID when we were, you know, having to keep our kids home here and there, and then kids were sick and coming home, obviously kept paying for daycare because it's a small local business. We want to keep supporting those folks who are providing such strong and positive nurturing environments for our kids, but absolutely paying a much lower rate, I'm sure will be great for lots of families. And I'm going to age out of this. My kid's going into JK in September, but just like you, Sherry, I will keep fighting for this because I, I believe it's important for all families. It gives kids a good head start. It helps families. And in particular, it does help women return to the workforce. I mean, it's a prime feminist issue. It has been since the second wave of feminism in the 70s. This was one of the major asks, along with equal pay. Um, speaking here to Dr. Kate Dupuy, a parent and a psychologist. Uh, and as you were talking about, and this is during um, Women's Month, and just shortly after International Women's Day, it's not only you know women parents, it's also women nurses for the most part, and then women educators in the elementary panel for the most part, so all of these at, at jobs that need childcare and also are dealing with little children in the childcare centers as well, these are mainly populated by women. So this is a hugely you know, feminist issue. But you're right, there is that tie-in with COVID too. I mean, it's also a health issue. I want to talk to you because you're a psychologist about health. Because I remember we were together in a demonstration before the beginning of the school year, if you remember, along with Dr. Neely Kaplan-Mirth, who's coming on the show next week. And, you know, we were demanding safe schools. That was the demand, that our children are going back and that they need to go back into safe places. And that at that point meant contact tracing, vaccination, masks, ventilation, all of those good things. Uh, but the pushback from some, not from all, of the medical community, but from some of the medical community was children need to go back for their mental health. You are a psychologist, you deal in mental health. Just some comments about the mental health aspect of safe schools versus unsafe schools and the risk there. What's worth the risk? I should state that it is outside of my scope of competence to talk about children and the mental health of children. I'm specifically working with an older population and an adult population. But as a parent, I can speak to this. Um, you know, when we were pushing so hard in the summer to ensure that schools were safe, and I'm 
I'm talking summer 2021, but I could also be talking about summer 2020 because many of the things that we were fighting for this past summer, we were also asking for two years ago. And these are not things, so I'm a psychologist, I'm also a researcher. These are not things that we had plucked out of thin air. These were things that we were asking for the government to do that were evidence-based. So for example, sick kids in the summer of 2020 had recommended that Ontario should return to the classroom in class sizes of no more than 15 children. Minister of Education Stephen Lecce in June 2020 had stood up on camera and said, we should have class sizes no more than 15 children. We were told that wasn't going to happen. The school board that is the largest school board in the country, the Toronto District School Board, came up with a plan to shift staffing around because, of course, you think, well, 15 kids in a class, it's impossible. There's not enough teachers. There's not enough rooms. The largest school board in the country said, actually, we came up with a brilliant plan. We reduced some prep time. We don't really need a lot of new educators. Teachers, I'm, I'm the daughter of two teachers. I am an educator myself, so I might be a little bit biased, but teachers are so resilient. They are so innovative. They are so creative. They are excellent problem solvers. TDSB said, let's we can we can move things around and ensure that kids will have a slightly shortened day, but they will be in small class sizes. The government said no. The government said no to rapid tests for public schools. At least we had masks. <laughs> At least we had PCR testing, as you're saying. You know, HEPA units, maybe they're coming in. N95s only started coming in in Jan 2022. We never got the highest quality masks for our children, never. Children were still just being given cloth masks, which again, the research suggests is not as strong from a protective standpoint as you know an N95 level mask. The thing with saying you care about the mental health of people, but then not providing evidence-based supports to ensure that if, if the argument is mental health for children is better when children are in school, then you should invest every single last penny we don't have pennies anymore any single last nickel you have into making sure kids are going to stay in school and schools are going to be safe this time last year when the government moved march break to april when kids were supposed to come back in april there was roughly four thousand cases a day today judging by our chief medical officer of health uh, math where he says there's probably 10 times more cases in ontario there's roughly sixteen thousand cases in our province right now that's four times more than there were last year when schools were deemed to be not safe. And at that time, there was masking, there was PCR testing, there was cohorts, there was some dismissal or at least some information that you would get, but the whole cohort would get dismissed. We will have none of that on March 21st. None. You know, people may still have masks. That's true. There will be no screening at the gate like there has been for the past year and a half. We Children across Ontario will not have access to PCR testing. Cohorts will be removed. Assemblies can be brought together again. If you look at the research and you say, these are the things that can help keep kids in school, and we believe that schools are important for mental health, I don't understand why the line isn't then being drawn to say, if schools are so important for mental health, let's make sure we can keep schools open. It hasn't worked before. We lost out on the most in-person learning any province in Canada. I don't know why we aren't investing everything we can and making sure we keep on as many mitigating, you know, safety features as we possibly can. I completely understand. Kids cannot wear masks for the rest of their lives. I don't think anyone's asking for that. You know, a, a few weeks after March break, which is what the Children's Coalition asked for, many children's hospitals across Ontario said, let's just wait a few weeks. 
let's come back after March break. Let's keep those masks on, keep a lot of those safety features. Let's just wait and see. Let's just try and gather data. Let's use data and science to guide our decisions. We're not saying keep them on till 2030. We're saying two weeks. And yet our government wasn't considering to do that. So it's, as a parent, it's extremely frustrating to be honest. Talking here on the Radical Reverend Show, if you're just tuning in to Dr. Kate Dupuis, uh, concerned parent primarily, but also psychologist. And we're talking about the lifting of the mandates and kids going back to school after March break and what that's going to look like. Uh, it's quite shocking, really, considering that the, you know, the financial accountability officer just came out and said they had an extra $5.5 billion from the federal government to do exactly that, to provide more safety in places like schools, and they did not use it for that. So uh, that's where we're at right now with our with our schools. And I, I always think with the mental health aspect, I mean, get, having a really sick child in a household or having a parent or a grandparent who gets sick enough to be hospitalized, that's hard on your mental health too. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that doesn't help. Um, yeah. So being really ill physically is not going to mm -hmm. help your mental, your mental health. Uh, you, you know, but absolutely, I mean, children should be in school. I mean, know that online learning, especially for little kids, isn't great, but um, <laughs> if it's happening at all. Um, yeah. But I mean, you know, and teachers hate it and with good reason. So yeah, but we could have we could have had safe schools. And the, and the example is, of course, private schools have been doing those things. So if there's money yeah. there, there's a way, right? Yeah. I mean, some of the private schools have vaccine mandates. We just heard over the weekend that at least one private school um, may be keeping their masks. Uh, a lot of schools have had rapid testing surveillance programs. And honestly, good for them. They are following the science. Their administrators and their educators, they don't want to get sick, just as you said. You know, kids bring things home. We knew this before COVID. I'm not sure why it's like a surprise that sick kids can make sick parents, sick, sick grandparents. And this was really my concern back in the summer of 2020, when we were starting to talk about kids coming home sick. And, you know, the data then were still suggesting, you know, most kids are, are going to uh, recuperate from COVID. They won't necessarily have the negative, we, although we don't know about long COVID, do we, in kids yet. But my concern was really about the adults. And at that time, of course, there wasn't the vaccination uh, push that we now have. But, you know, as you mentioned earlier, so many parents, if you look at large sectors of education, healthcare, and long-term care, statistically speaking, the majority of the workforce in many of these professions is female. And we know that it tends to be that if there is a sick child in the house, it is the mother who stays home. So once again, you know, you're withdrawing that person from the workforce or that person potentially is going back to work ill. So that can't be good for anybody. Um, we've heard just horrifying statistics out of the U.S. of the number of children who've been orphaned or lost a parent. And as you say, you know, that mental health burden of knowing, you know, even myself as an adult, you know, I'm very cautious because I don't want to get anybody else sick. I don't want to bring it. I, you know, I don't want to bring it home and potentially bring it to my own parents. Um, I don't want to have that on my conscious conscience. Um, and, you know, again, this is as a parent, I can speak to this piece, but schools aren't always the safest space for children as well. So there's this idea that we needed to get kids back into school because mental health will magically be resumed once they're back in school. Well, there's a lot of staff that are out sick and there's a lot of uncertainty as well around, you know, different changes that are going on in the schools. There's bullying. 
there's disparities in, you know, different schools across, you know, there's a lot of other things that happen in schools. Absolutely. Online learning does not work for everyone and can be very difficult. But it's not to say that you put kids back into a physical building and poof, magically they're there. Now, if we were to invest in our mental health care system here in the province, if, for example, psychological care was covered under OHIP, or we had a lot of social workers, psychotherapists, psychologists, SLPs, OTs, just flooding into the school system and supporting our children, absolutely use some of those billions and billions of unspent funds to support not only the children, but their educators who themselves have gone through so much over the last two years, families, so many families have been ill or have lost someone, have lost their jobs. There has been so much collective trauma in Ontario. Let's use some of those funds. Let's put our money where our mouth is and support the mental health recovery of Ontarians going forward. And that's where I'm afraid we're going to have to leave it. Dr. Kate, uh, speaking to Dr. Kate Dupuis, psychologist and concerned Toronto parent, about what school's going to be like and what's going to welcome children or not welcome them so much when they return after March break. Thank you so much for being on the Radical Reverend Show. Thank you. Proudly student and listener supported community radio. CIUT 89.5 FM celebrating 35 years as the sound of your city. Welcome back to the Radical Reverend Show. And so sorry, I, I think I cut um, Dr. Kate off a little bit at the end there. But uh, just to say that it was a delight to have her on the show. And we're going to continue on the other side now of the, of the conundrum that's going to be facing people, parents, students, and educators come March 21st. And that is, let's talk to uh, one of those folks you should follow on Twitter, the Musing educator uh, who keeps her anonymity with good cause. We'll talk about why that is. But um, I want to talk to her about uh, what's going on in schools and, you know, yeah, the reality of schools versus the fantasy of schools that we tend to hear from this government. So the fantasy of schools that we hear from this government <laughs> is that, oh, well, you know, COVID's mild. I mean, in, in a kind of weird way, I, I've said this, you know, on Twitter, they've cave to all of the demands of the convoy, basically. Mm -hmm. But, you know, COVID's mild. It's mild in children. It's just a bad cold. Uh, no big deal. You know, everybody, basically the assumption is almost everybody's going to get it at one point or another. Don't worry about it. It's all good. Just get vaccinated and you won't end up in hospital. And this is kind of the message that's going out. So we don't need to record or you know, you know do contact tracing anymore or even have rapid tests around. Uh, and we certainly don't need to mask anymore and et cetera. You are an educator. What is your response to all of that? This is, this is what's the messaging is coming out of Queen's Park. Well, uh, just listening to you recount all of it, my blood pressure just rising as I think of the surreal situation we find ourselves in. Um, the just to kind of backtrack a bit, um, when they ceased testing and, um, you know, kind of reduced some of the um, precautions we had in the schools, just as Omicron was taking off, it was the worst possible uh, scenario because um, unbeknownst to the public, really, is the fact that uh, cases in schools have been, uh, there have been huge numbers. It's, it's literally ripping through and it's been ripping through a ton of schools. Um, 
you know, be prior to uh, Christmas in my own school, for instance, had there been one or two cases, you know, there would, they would have been tested, there was contact tracing, there was, there was a long period of quarantine, and you would have read about it in the local newspaper. Um, since our return um, in mid-January, um, of the quick cases that I'm aware of, there's been well over 100. Now, we didn't hit more than a couple of cases prior to that. And this is, you know, we are not an anomaly. This is going on in multiple uh, schools. And I'm sure if you were to talk to any, you know, to a number of people, they've known more people in the last three to four weeks who've been sick with COVID than in the, you know, two years prior. So to be in a school where <laughs> there's this, you know, uh, narrative being um, put out to the public that, um, you know, it's mild, it's, you know, it's, there are very few cases and we have no way of really getting the truth out there. It's maddening. Um, and, you know, we're, we're professionals, we're, we, everyone's been rising to the occasion, but our staff has been decimated at times with illness. Um, there have been classes where whole, half the class has been sick at one time. Um, I actually, you know, just returned to work last week after having a bout of COVID that I caught at work. Um, so it's very real. The risk is very real. And to get to this point where here we are <laughs> about to start the March break and, you know, a few days before Ford came out and made his big announcement, um, Dr. Moore had, you know, at least given us the assurance we'd wait till the end of March. So, you know, we're doing the math in our head. We're, we, all, we all know a lot of people are traveling over the break. So I thought, well, you know, maybe they will reassess and they will see it's it's not the right time to remove masks. And then, then Ford drops this bombshell. It's unbelievable. It's unconscionable. And it's not even just the mask issue. Every single possible precaution is being removed all at once in the schools. And um, so knowing what I know, knowing what I've seen and experienced, and then knowing what I'm going back to with... Um, in my school with the BA2, I mean, we're getting all kinds of reports now of it ripping across Europe. Um, obviously there's another wave headed this way. I, I just, it's, it's hard to envision what it's gonna be like when we go back. It's not gonna be pleasant, that's for sure. It's gonna be very stressful. Speaking to a guest we've had on the show before, the musing educator, as she's known on Twitter, about the situation in schools. You mentioned the new variant. Uh, we know hospitalizations for children is, is way up in the UK. Denmark, um, that have lifted the mandate a while back, their hospitalizations are way up as well. And that our caseloads in schools are probably about four times. I mean, even... Even Dr. Moore has admitted that, you know, because we do so little testing now, that the cases are probably, you know, between 10 and 20,000 a day across Ontario. So this is staggering. This is literally staggering. Um, and we also know, and I was talking to Dr. Kate in the first half of the show about this, that there are parents who have to work. You know, they, they can't go without losing a day's pay. They need to pay them, you know, rent and food. And, and so they're going to be sending children to school, you know, with some Tylenol and have runny noses and some of the symptoms. And they may not have a rapid test. So, so what does it look like from your end? You're in the school. The child is coming through the doors. They've got some symptoms. What is, is, is there any protocol? What, what protocol happens there? Well, um <laughs> Parents are, you know, expected to follow this protocol, this checklist and whatnot. There's no follow-up. There's no one checking to see that someone's clicked off on a computer. That's not happening. 
And I would say, you know, the vast majority of parents, I think, are trying to do their best. They're trying to be very responsible and keep their children home when, they, when they're sick. And um, many of them have informed the school when they have, um, you know, their child's tested positive on a rapid test. But, but some of our biggest classroom outbreaks were because parents actually knowingly sent their child to school sick. And um, because our masks come off at lunch twice a day in very, very crowded rooms that are poorly ventilated, um, those are the classes that got hit with, you know, a whole half a class out. And um, so there is no real, you know, there's no policing of this. And when we go back, um, basically, there's no protocols that anyone has to sign off on. Um, it, they're, they're, um, you don't even have to, uh, you know, volunteers can come in. There's no one's going to ask about vaccination. So there's, there's no requirement for that. Um, masking optional, you know, the, the whole uh, kit and caboodle that we had in terms of, you know, having some kind of set, set of precautions will be gone, completely gone when we go back. So Talking all to the my goodness, like it's it's terrifying, really. We're talking to the musing educator here about what they're going to walk back into on March 21st with the, the brave new world that uh, Dr. Moore and uh, Doug Ford have brought in for us in our schools. Um, and we know that this isn't science-based. I mean, a number of the major hospitals have reacted to this immediately and said this is too soon. Uh, you're dropping precautions too quickly. Masks save lives, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and I know that uh, I'm not alone in this, but we've been kind of banging the drum on Twitter to get Lecce and the premier to start visiting schools and having lunch after the 21st. Like, go to the lunchroom, sit yeah. and have lunch with a you know a gym full of little kids, uh, you know, with you know runny noses and <laughs> no masks. Like, you know, uh, put your your money where your mouth is you know and put your mouth where your money is um so uh so i, I would love to see that i mean oh, <laughs> i'm sure you would too honestly i'd give up a day's pay to see it i just <laughs> you'd have to come in for the whole day no more virtual meetings and you're safe in your little office <laughs> come on in so, so you've had COVID, COVID is ripping through our schools and clearly this is kind of the plan. I mean, they're not saying herd immunity because they know that they'll immediately get pushed back because herd immunity means increased deaths for those who are immune compromised or have issues or the elderly or even little children, right? That aren't vaccinated. So they know that, so they don't say those words, but that's truly the plan that, that's happening here. Uh, so I, I guess what I want to ask you is, so what's wrong with that? Everybody gets COVID, you know, all little kids, you know, it's sort of like getting a cold and, you know, uh, I mean, what is your reaction to that general thinking? Well, first of all, um, it's, it's criminal in my, in my mind, this would be, if we had enough time, there should be human case, human rights cases being launched here. Um, we are putting everyone, um, who might have you know any kind of disability or or immune system you know uh, disease autoimmune um all kinds of people who would be put at risk seniors i mean what are we what is the message we're, we're a selfish society that we can't put a mask on to help minimize the, the spread and and what about long covid the studies are coming out all kinds of doctors are posting that that terrifies me i mean we're hearing about increased um risk for heart attack for months after you've got a, a mild you've recovered from a mild case so we don't even know what the impact's going to be 
on children, on adults, on all of us down the road. And I think the politicians, they're hedging their bets. Well, you know what, by the time science figures that out, you know, they won't be able to kind of connect the dots to us because that's because science takes a while. So they're hedging their bets here, but they've made a uh, Ford's made a grave miscalculation um, by doing this because um, this is going to backfire massively and it's going to happen before June 2nd. So he has he has whoever's advising him um, has made a really bad move. Well, certainly the election looms and I'm sure that's part of why he's doing what he's doing. But you're right about long COVID and. I mean, the the studies that are now coming out about brain, the impact on brains, and one that I saw coming out of the States, uh, Dr. Eric Fagel-Ding, who I follow um, from the States, he's saying that one third of children are exhibiting signs of long COVID that have mm -hmm. had COVID. So, I mean, this is this could affect an entire generation, which is yeah. shocking. Let's talk about what to do about it, like the reaction. Um, and, and I I want to really give a shout out here to the Hamilton School Board, who's really stood up and said, no, they just said, no, we are not going to risk our, our staff and our students. We are going to continue the mask mandate. Uh, you know, this is a brave stand, but they seem to be alone out there. What about the other school boards? Some of the biggest, like Toronto District School Board, Toronto Catholic District, these school boards are just towing the line. I mean, they're writing letters, but that's not action, yeah. right? Um, yeah. But where's the where's the fear coming from? Like you, I mean, you're anonymous on Twitter for a reason because there has been backlash and there there have been recriminations. What what do educators look at and and trustees possibly to when they stand up to Ford or Lecce? Well, you know, I, I think I read, and it may have been on Twitter, someone posting this concern about if, if the board stands up and pushes back, there'll be, you know, some kind of provincial takeover and, you know, the board will kind of take over. Well, you know what, if every single board did the right thing together, that's absolutely impossible. It couldn't happen. I mean, this is becoming, here, here Ford, you know, says he's, his party is the yes party and we're, we're against mandates. Well, they, he's acting like a dictator. This is outrageous. You know, when he wants the boards to do his dirty work and he, he, you know, in earlier parts of the pandemic, well, we'll leave this, you know, whatever X decision up to the board, but now to come out and say, no, you know, you can't disobey. You can't put in place something they, that may prevent harm. I mean, my goodness, we don't bring it, There could be one child in the school that is allergic to peanuts. We don't bring anything into that entire building that may contain nuts. And rightly so, you know, if something happened to that poor child. So this is, how is this different? We are actually protecting each other by wearing a mask. I don't get what the big deal is. And the kids don't get what the big deal is. I'll tell you that. You know what? If you were to, if, if anyone could see inside of a, of a school, Honestly, the kids go about their day. They could have just said, you know what, teachers, let them go back to, you know, put your desks in group and do all the kind of the, 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 the great way of teaching that, that you used to do pre-COVID, but we'll just keep our masks on to keep each other safer. Um, kids would be thrilled with that. So they, they've made the, this mask issue has nothing to do with what's best for children. Protecting them from a potential brain degenerative disease. I don't know. I don't see what the harm so wearing masks a little longer. So yeah, this is a human rights issue, frankly. Talking to the musing educator, so uh, so named and aptly so on Twitter about what it's like at our schools. 
uh, I know that the, some students are organizing a walkout on the 21st. They've broadcast that across Twitter. So that's happening. But let's talk within the school itself. Like trustees, I mean, I don't get it either because trustees are electable. And we know that the conservatives have been trying to get rid of trustees forever. I mean, since Mike Harrison, they docked their salaries dramatically. So I don't think taking over the trustees function is related to COVID at all. This is something conservatives have always wanted to do. So that that's why it's always kind of mind boggling why, you know, mm -hmm. this would be a fear for trustees. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's always been part of their mandate. Uh, but inside the school itself, uh, you've got admin, you've got teachers. And there was that case of that one teacher who said, I'm not, I'm not teaching, it's unsafe. And she called mm -hmm. the labor board and they checked it out. And of course, basically said, you know, yes, it's probably not safe, but you still have to go to work. Uh, where, where are teachers at in this? Because some, especially those with immune compromised family members at home must be terrified. Uh, absolutely. I mean, honestly, I cannot believe how stressed, I mean, there's still everyone, you know, doing the best that they can, but teachers are stressed. A lot of the teachers I work with have young kids. They've now had to deal with their children getting COVID and then they're dragging themselves back to work. And everyone just, it's like we're in a surreal situation. We, we, we walk by each other some days and we just like, we just can't believe and the hits keep coming. And I think this is so much by design. This began when they, they uh, Moore and Ford, and I'm gonna throw Moore in there because, you know, in my, he disappoints me and angers me more than anyone. He's a doctor. Um, Ford's a thug. Moore is supposed to be a doctor. First do no harm. It's absolutely criminal what's going on. And as soon as they um, hit, they, they stopped the PCR testing and they prevented schools from sharing data in the public, this set the stage for what's about to happen. Because I firmly believe if the parents knew what the numbers were like in their own schools, if they knew the truth, they, they would be up in arms like, like, <laughs> Nothing else. I, I believe there'd be such a massive pushback that Ford couldn't um, do what he's doing. He's doing this to hang on to his 10% right wing anti-masker, you know, uh, part of the his base. But um, if the if the truth were out there, this would would not be happening. And so they, you know, this is this is he, he's planned this right from you know I think early in January by, by cutting off the, and what's also kind of frightening is that you've seen this happen gl globally. Like it's, it's as if children don't matter. Like I just, I can't wrap my head around that. And now we're all gonna be slammed again because we're starting to see wave number six. And to me, this is more costly than anything. I don't know. I mean, I'm, you even just look ahead to what might come down the pike in terms of health insurance and health care and, and uh, chronic disease and all of the, 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 you know, the money that goes along with, you know, helping to support people with those needs. That, that we're not thinking end game or long term here. This is uh, insanity. Well, it's it's part of the privatization agenda, no doubt. I, I mean, the, the cutbacks to schools have always been, let's you know get on board with the American model. You may, you know move towards voucher schools, and uh, you know we can see we can see what the lack of education leads to down there in terms yeah. of the population. <laughs> but uh, but I mean, certainly here, you know, parents are already doing, and I'm sure you're seeing it. Parents with means and money just say enough of this. 
you know, we'll send them to the private school where masks are mandatory and vaccines are mandatory and there's 15 in the classroom and um, there's a HEPA filter, right? That yeah. We'll just send them there. And, uh, and, and then, then, you know, who's left? People who have to work often, who don't have much of a choice. I mean, this is, this is clearly the, the agenda here. Um, uh, so, I mean, you've got a, you know, Minister of Education who came from a private school and his a parliamentary assistant who was homeschooled. So oh. we know where they're at, you know, we know exactly where yeah. they're at. Um, speaking here to the musing educator about uh, what's what she's and others are going to face when they go back to school on the 21st. So personally, what are you going to do? One teacher I, I saw said, well, I'm not I'm not only going to be wearing my N95. I'm also going to be wearing the plastic shield. And, you know, the next it'll be hazmat suits. And yeah. <laughs> but anyway, well, we will be mad. Like, I, I don't know a single uh, person that I work with who won't be masked tightly every single day. Um, and probably taking additional precautions on top of that because at least when you had you know yes we we had added exposure because of our crowded lunches and masks do come off so that's what's led to to a number of us getting sick but at least with masking most of the day you reduce the risk and you hopefully reduce the viral load that you might inhale um now it, you know we don't know we we hope that a number of children will still wear their masks. We hope that parents will encourage that. I kind of feel like that that's what we'll see. Um, you know, you'd like to think, um, you know, kids are kind for the most part. You know, if, if uh, they know that, that there's someone who might be concerned about their health, you'd like to think they'll do that, the right thing. But but this, who knows what may happen. I mean, this could be become uh, add to the tension in schools because, of course, now the parents, the few parents that are anti-maskers have been emboldened by this. And the few that I know uh, connected with my school, when I say emboldened, it's, um, it's quite something to see firsthand at a school uh, level. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. But the people that I work with, I know... Um, they're 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 intending to be masked and stay <laughs> tightly masked <laughs> when we return now let's talk about staffing levels and in, in classroom sizes too from your point of view because i've heard stories from substitute teachers that you know of course caseloads and you know lack of masking already in some schools but um but also just that they're getting i mean they're working a lot because the staffing is been a real problem is are you finding that that staffing is a real problem i mean more teachers oh, every, are off every day yeah. um we've had multiple supply teachers they've had to call in um, people from the board when we haven't had enough supply teachers so it's a mad scramble support staff a lot of support staff um sick and and um away and uh, so that's going to get worse but what's going to be a new element um added to the scene is before you know there's this huge huge push oh we've got to have someone to cover the class because we can't combine the classes well now everything's off the table now so if we're uh if we don't have enough supply teachers what will happen is now they can combine classes now they could put 60 in a room if they're desperate maybe we put four or five classes in the gym so you see where this is going now that they've removed the the, the requirement to you know fake cohort i call it because really there's really no real cohorting that goes on in a school um if schools are completely short staff they'll just be combi combining huge numbers of kids together in one room because that will be the only way to have supervision so and i assume I could, 
Yeah, and I assume uh, sports will go back as it was, and uh, so there will be that. Um, is that also a factor? I mean, I, I... Uh, yeah, it remains to be seen how many will be, you know, uh, you know, jumping to do, um, and who will be able to to take that on right now. I mean, people are overwhelmed. I mean, we all, you know, always, um, you know, teachers will do what they can to make the experience at school enjoyable for kids. But right now, when I say people are kind of done, <laughs> whether they're recovering, they're sick, they're stressed. Um, and then you add this element on top of it, um, you know, for, for Lecce to come out and act like, oh, it's all, you know, back to, back to, you know, 2019 business and everything's a go and everything's hunky-dory is completely false. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, yeah. talking to here to the musing educator, uh, uh, you know, who needs to be anonymous because there are recriminations. Let, talk about that. Like what happens to a teacher if she just says, or he just says, no, you know, I'm not, uh, this is an unsafe environment. I'm not going to work here. Um, it calls the union wrap up or, you know, what is what happens? I mean, what, what, what are the options for teachers here? Is there any out here? You know what, um, you know, looking back on some of the brave souls I know in the province that have, you know, um, stood up because we can't do it collectively. It has to be done individually from what I understand this work refusal. But because the, our chief medical officer of health has not, they did not ever really put from what I understand, um, COVID is being airborne, which would then filter down to the Ministry of Labor, because the Ministry of Labor has to follow those guidelines. If a if there's real uh, concern being raised because of something that is airborne, um, they don't really necessarily have a huge leg to stand on. Like that's kind of what I understand is part of the issue. Um, and so governments for quite a long time have been hesitant. It's only been fairly recently where they're acknowledging airborne. But to have that written in legislation, um, I think has been part of the problem. So I think that's what has made work refusals um, a challenge. Um, personally, I mean, when I first heard the news about what Ford was uh, is planning to do, I, I was all for a province-wide one day illegal walkout. I mean, I, I was around back in the Harris years. So, you know, if, if an issue is as important as this one is, I would say even a one day. That That's my feeling because I think there needs to be a message. I think um, the public needs to know how serious this is because um, there will be many more uh, become sick from this. If this sixth wave hits us the way it's hitting over in Europe, and now we're seeing China locking down huge, huge cities. Um, this is the you know sixth time. Why, why would Ford think we'd escape this? It's 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 unconscionable. And uh, yeah, so it's. Uh, I mean, it's ultimately, this is about money. You need to keep people mm -hmm. at work, and you need mm -hmm. to keep the, you know, keep those who are making money making money. You know, um, that's what it's about. Uh, it's talking here to the musing educator on this show, and it's taking place, by the way, in international, you know, just after International Women's Day, and also, of course, this is the month for women, really. <laughs> and uh, and I, you know, speaking to Dr. Kate about this and saying this is really, you know, primarily a woman's issue. I mean. Most women parents still falling to the parent. Um, most childcare workers are women. You know, most elementary school teachers anyway are women. Um, you know, you've got lots of women in the educational system, and then you've got if when everybody gets sick, you got lots of women nurses, right? Right. <laughs> Look after oh, them. Exactly. You know, so this this is truly a woman's issue in, in mm -hmm. many many ways. Um, and so, I mean, 
I, I, you know, I, I wish you well. Where are the signs of where? Let's let's leave this show on some kind of positive note, musing educator. Where yeah. and I agree with you. I don't know why the unions haven't. I mean, people are risking their lives. If there was ever a, a necessity, not just in education but in other fields as well, for a one day, you know, show them, you know, what workers can do. Strike. It, it's been during COVID, but doesn't seem to be in the cards. So, what keeps you going at the end of the day? You're going to walk into this dangerous workplace. You're going to be masked, but not always. And um, you're going to deal with children who are, most, many of them not masked. And you're going to deal with large classes, probably, and probably not good ventilation. What keeps you going? You know, it's, it is it is it is the kids, really. At the end of the day, when you walk into that building, you know, it, it, it something just kind of clicks off in you. And then you're just, you know, just like anyone would in there in a caregiving job or a whatever, you know, where you're working with, with people, human beings, little human beings who rely on us. And um, so, you know, we will always rise to the occasion. Um, but at the same time, we, we shouldn't be prevented to, to get the truth out. Um, I would be able to process this a whole lot better if this government wasn't hiding the truth so that people had the knowledge that, that you know, the, the facts that exists right now that we could believe we were in a society where we're taking care of each other where we're doing but right by the kids and um doing the minimal at least to keep each other as safe as possible during during this difficult time um so at the end of the day you, you still go in there you, you love the kids and you you want to do what's best for them and, and you do it um no matter what and then when you come home, you know, you think about all of it. Um, it. It's just surreal. My hope is I'm so happy to see there's so many doctors speaking out because um, no no one really listens to teachers. I hate to say it, <laughs> but our voices don't seem to matter. I just wish um, parents um, would see what's happening. I wish there would be some press conferences with doctors together, uh, even with union leaders, but more so doctors. And I would like you know, every parent that's able to ring the phone off their MPP's wall, because at the end of the day, if the MPP's know that, that there are enough constituents that are absolutely horrified by what's going on, then maybe Ford will listen and change his mind and do the right thing. So, Thank you. Been a real delight, as always, speaking to the musing educator here about what happens after March break in our schools. Uh, take care out there in listener land. Be safe. Until next time on The Radical Reverend Show. Moving? Store your belongings safely with Access Storage. Students save 50% off first four weeks, no admin fee, and receive a free lock. Plus, enter for your chance to win a laptop. Details at accessstorage.ca. From the backyard hobbyist to the all-out welding and machine shop, Metal Supermarkets has what you need, when you want it, how you want it. All cut to your specifications. No order is too big or too small. Pick up in-store or have it delivered right to your home, shop, or job site. Metal Supermarkets has you covered no matter what the project. With over 8,000 products metal supermarkets is your convenience store for metal eight convenient gta locations to help you get the job done call us at 289-562-0264 or find us on the web at metalsupermarkets.com